hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as we mentioned in our last episode, cotton industry is already off to a fast start this year. It's meeting season, and it started with the Beltwide Cotton Conferences right after New Year's, and it is certainly continuing now with a host of regional and state meetings all across the cotton belt. Now, most of those meetings are going to focus on current issues potentially impacting this year's production. Those are things like product availability and cost, supply chain issues, uh, planning for multiple production scenarios, uh, weed control, drought, and certainly cotton price outlook. And those are definitely things on the minds of growers right now. But today we're going to take a look at a completely different segment of the cotton industry and one that's not even on the radar screen for most growers right now. A recent article in Sourcing Journal raised the question, do cotton prices really harm apparel companies? It was a fascinating look at what's happening in the industry beyond cotton production, ginning, and marketing. That article was written by Bob Antishak, a longtime industry marketing expert and consultant to the global fiber, textile, and apparel industries. Bob's also a longtime friend of Cotton Grower, and he's going to join us in just a very few minutes to discuss the end-use segments of the industry, and you'll want to stay tuned for that conversation. But first, just a couple of quick news items to share with you. First of all, congratulations to Ted Sheely of Lemoore, California, who's the recipient of the 2021 Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award for his outstanding career of cotton industry service, farming innovation, and strategic planning. You can find out more about Ted and the award and his operation in the January issue of Cotton Grower and online at cottongrower.com. We will be honoring Ted and presenting him with the award at a special luncheon coming up in early spring. And second, after reviewing data from additional 2021 variety testing, BASF has announced that they're adding a new Stoneville cottonseed variety for the 2022 season. That would be Stoneville 4595B3XF. It's an early to mid maturity variety with strong yield potential and a good fiber package that is shown to be widely adapted across the cotton belt. Now, it's not unusual to see new variety announcements early in the new year, and I suspect we'll see a few more coming before planting time, considering how late last season was in some areas. And now let's welcome Bob Antishak into the virtual Cotton Companion studio. As I mentioned, Bob's been actively involved in consulting and marketing efforts in the fiber, textile, and apparel industries for a number of years. I've known Bob for at least 15 years, and he's a tremendous source of information and expertise for the industry. So, Bob, welcome to the Cotton Companion. Jim, thank you very much. Thank you for the uh, invitation. It's a real pleasure to uh, join you on the program. Well, thank you. And you and I have both been involved in the cotton industry for a long time. And, and quite honestly, I had to sit down and think that 15 years that we've, that, you know, our paths have crossed off and on just that number just kind of shocked me a little bit because it does, it doesn't seem like it's been, yeah, it has been it has, yeah, no, it seems, yeah, it has been 15, I'd say, yeah. but, uh, but since we usually don't talk very much about the, uh, the textile and apparel side of, of the business on, on this podcast, give us just a little bit of background about things that you've done in the industry and, and what your current role is. Okay. I've, uh, let's see, I started in the, uh, synthetic fiber business, um, in New York, uh, 
many, many years ago <laughs> and uh, moved from there to uh, Washington, D.C., where I was a uh, lobbyist and trade advisor to the U.S. government on textile trade agreements. Uh, there was a big quota program that was in place um, globally um, at the time. This is like back in the 80s into the 90s. Um, after, oh, I'd say after or, or well into the 90s, I uh, decided to become a uh, full-time consultant. So I've been doing that ever since. And sometimes with large uh, consulting firms, sometimes just just by myself with a small company. Um, I've been able to um, sell a few companies along the way, learned a little bit about uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, did a lot of uh, strategic planning for companies, a lot of sourcing advice, um, a lot of strategy work. Um, and these days that has translated into uh, me getting involved with two two relatively recent startups. One was the uh, the old Globecot service in uh, in Nashville, where I live today. Uh, that was about twenty years ago when that that was started, and uh, we ultimately sold that uh, to uh, FC Stone and. Um, these days, uh, I consult uh, for a number of companies, and um, right now, in fact, I'm actually in uh, one of the companies that I consult to, uh, Vidalia Mills in Vidalia, Louisiana, and um, basically helping with the startup of getting, it's pro probably the first U.S. mill to really launch in goodness gracious, uh, many, many years. Um, so basically everyone's out of her minds for trying it. <laughs> and, uh, but it is fun and it's exciting. And um, so we make denim here and we make yarn and uh, we aspire to do uh, full package as well. And in time, we'll, we'll get that figured out. So again, that's kind of my thing. I do the uh, marketing and communications for the mill. So I do all the social media and that, that kind of stuff. And um, so yeah, it's been a really fun project. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure getting, getting a mill up and running is not something you just, you know, you walk in and put some machines in place and flip a switch and off you go. I wish it was that easy and, <laughs> and also doing it during, of course, like that if that wasn't hard enough, Jim, right? <laughs> and we have a uh, pandemic on top of it, so you know, <laughs> let's really do it, right? Yeah, let's so, let's let's know. let's put every obstacle we possibly can in in our path. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So well, you know, and and it seems to be seems to be going very well. Obviously, I'm 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 familiar with the Vidalia Mills uh, project and everything. And and since you're working in denim and and everything like that, I'm sure maybe. A lot of our listeners may forgive your statement about working in synthetic fibers back years and years. Yeah, that's right. That was a long time ago. That was a long time. <laughs> I was a kid then. <laughs> what? You didn't know any <laughs> better, did slack. you? I didn't know any better. Yeah. It's like polyester. It's, you know. <laughs> well, well, let's 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 talk a little bit about uh, about your article. In December, you you wrote an article for Sourcing Journal. Uh, you were aimed at dispelling some of the current perceptions that high cotton prices are hurting the apparel industry. 
Now, what prompted you to step up and, and sort of provide a dose of reality to this situation? Well, you know, it's interesting, Jim. I get, again, being a uh, consultant, a lot of folks call me and they want, you know, they want to talk market. They want to talk uh, strategy. So many of these brands would call and they would blame everything on basically their rising costs. They blamed it all on cotton. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Back up. And, and my whole response was, there's a huge supply chain. And most of the brands really, um, they understand fabric very well. But once you go back to raw material like cotton, they really don't quite understand how that feeds into the, uh, this overall supply chain where you get from farm all the way through to finished product and source. Right. So again, having said that, let me clarify, many of them do, but there's many who don't fully understand that. So what I was reacting to was a lot of talk about, you know, how can cotton go from 50 cents to say, I think at the time it was like a buck 20 or something like that. And how can that happen in a year? Uh, is this legit? I mean, is somebody cornering in the market? And and what, why are my costs all going up because of that? And so then I, I would spend time trying to unpack that and say, okay, guys, let's look at all your costs, including shipping, and let's break it all the way down. So that was kind of the the genesis of the article, because really their biggest single cost that was that was really affecting them was uh, in shipping. It wasn't it wasn't uh -huh. anything like cotton. Okay, cotton's a relatively small piece. Of well, if if the cotton prices, you know, it, and certainly we're not going to complain about high cotton prices, you know, on with on this podcast at all. No, no. let the farmers. Uh, I mean, for once, <laughs> have, them, have them make a. Decent living, yeah, yeah, def definitely. But if if the high cotton prices aren't to blame for the, for some of the the garment industry's issues, then then what are some of the things that that do impact them from a cost perspective? Well, I mean, what happens is because it's a vertically integrated supply chain. Okay, so to go from raw cotton to a finished garment, say, um, there are different companies all along the 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 supply chain. And every time there's a little adjustment on the previous link in that chain uh, where the, uh, with their prices, um, that gets passed along and magnified. Uh -huh. So what happens is there's this aggregated effect that occurs through the supply chain. So by the time, say, you're a mill and you're staring at yarn costs that are like, why is it so expensive? Well, the yarn guys, you know, they were faced with a, a higher cost, maybe from cotton and also uh, synthetics. And they'll add a little more on top of it as well. So you end up with the first step of magnification. Then it goes to the mill, then the mill does the same thing. Uh -huh. By the time the whole, whole thing gets to a, a brand, an apparel brand, you know, they're looking at heavy costs. and on top of that then, and, and the worst part of it is then we had a uh, supply chain disaster occur because of the uh, pandemic. 
And the price of shipping finished garments across the Pacific, say, was, you know, three, four, five times as much as what it was previously. Mm -hmm. So when you put all that in, you end up with a really highly inflationary period, um, which is kind of shocking when you, when you consider how deflationary apparel has been for so many years. So you had this psychological whammy as well that occurred. So when I was hearing from various folks, I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, let's just step back a second and kind of analyze this. And don't just do a knee jerk, oh, it's cotton prices causing, which is uh, really overstating. Well, it, it, it seems to me it's all just kind of based around simple economics, but they, they seem to be complicating the process. Yes, I mean, it, it's definitely a supply and demand issue, of course. Because uh, it is basic uh, economics, but again, um, we're shipping into a, a consumer. Um, one of the things that's unfortunate <laughs> is that cotton ends up having to be consumed by an industrial supply chain that ends up being consumer facing. So once you have that consumer facing element to it, everyone is afraid to raise prices. So you hear all the belly aching and all the complaining that occurs because it's like, who's going to absorb this? Who's going to absorb it? Well, eventually, you know, they can't, the supply chain can't absorb it all. So what they end up doing is um, uh, eventually they're forced to raise prices to the consumer. And we're seeing that now with the, uh, the uh, consumer price index in the U.S. You know, apparel prices are up. For a long time, and this is something I was really puzzled about and I read about it in the article, uh, apparel import prices were really falling until recently. And yet cotton prices were going up and it kind of took the air out of the argument that it was <laughs> cotton prices that were driving the increases. Um, it's really supply chain where most of it was uh, occurring um, beyond cotton. So. Well, you know, in, in your article, and you used an example of the cost of genes. Um, mm -hmm. Can you can you kind of review your explanation on, on how that works? Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, if you say an average pair of genes has about, oh, I, th I think it's like a pound and a half of cotton, you know, just rule of thumb. And if you said, okay, a year ago, it was 50 cents. That was your raw material cost. Okay, just raw material before um, being shipped anywhere, okay? Um, then it went up to, you know, $1.20. And so you add in that additional cost. Um, what you would find is, is that in the finish or in the wholesale price of say a $80 pair of jeans, fine, let it go up to $1.20. It's tiny, <laughs> it's really tiny. And when you look at it that way, it's like, oh, so the magnifying effect of prices, raw material prices, as it moves down the supply chain, everyone's adding in a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more plus, a little bit more plus, a little bit more plus. And then you add in a, a supply chain uh, problem like we had and um, with the ports and so on. And the next thing you know, uh, that, $80 wholesale price doesn't, re doesn't really go all that far compared to what, what it did. And 
So it's kind of a perfect storm of circumstances and a lot of folks blame cotton for it and which is unfair. Sort of, so, sort of seems like cotton's been demonized just a little bit in this. It has, and, and there's always this knee-jerk reaction. And again, I, I've been vocal on this in my editorial and various publications. Um, cotton is an easy target. You know, it's like it's distant from the finished product. Um, there's all this confusion about, you know, is it a, a, a good, good, you know, is it a water hog? Is it a, a you know, chemical hog? Is it a... Is it bad for the soil and all these, all this stuff? And the average person will go on the web and and they'll they'll Google cotton and come up with you know, twenty different you know answers for you know uh, water usage and and all that green stuff. And what I found found to be was facts were lacking, you know. And but but the attitude was still there of basically being very suspicious of 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 the product because again it is so different from finished product you know it's uh, uh you know it's grown on the ground uh you know uh everything else is made in factories you know it's just it's it's remote and the farther away you can get it from a um uh, you know a brand's identity um where you can either be critical or demonize demonize it, so be it. Otherwise you have brands who use it for their advantage and they try to make claims um, on, on cotton um, for you know, sustainability reasons or other branding reasons. Um, and again, it's, it's, it gets um, used to a point where, where in some cases uh, it can be misused and that misusing is, uh, you know, sometimes leads to uh, folks kind of demonizing it, which is uh, you know, just not fair. Not at all. So, so I guess the bottom line at, at this point is, what does all this mean for cotton growers? You know, is, is, this, is this good news? Is this bad news? Or is it kind of indifferent news for them? Well, um, the worry for me is as the prices keep getting inflated, two things will happen. One is demand eventually will slow from downstream and it'll trickle back to the farmer. There'll be less demand for cotton. Same thing will happen same, at the same time. Um, more uh, companies will or brands will be tempted to cheapen their products by switching to uh, synthetics more and doing more blending which will also have the effect of less cotton uh cotton uh consumption so you know higher prices will result and there's proof in that you know about 10 years ago when cotton spiked remember that um it was like two bucks or over two bucks um one of the workarounds that the brands figured out was let let's try using more polyester and and instead of it being 100 cotton in a garment let's try a uh, you know 65 35 or 70 30 or 80 20 percent you know uh cotton and polyester or whatever and they found that the consumers many consumers didn't care and uh because of that uh, cotton consumption came down 
and and over time and so there is there is uh, evidence of that and uh plus you add in uh an inflationary period like we're in now um higher prices eventually will affect retail and people people will buy less product so you have those two factors at play which are warning signals for farmers um you know prices are good now but there's downstream evidence to indicate that uh, the, the gears might go in reverse um, from the demand side um, before too long if this inflation continues, you know, for for a prolonged period of time. And and that obviously is yet to be seen. Correct, correct. I mean, because retail sales numbers were very strong going into the holiday. However, the last couple of months they've been down. So, you know, it's one of these things we have to kind of keep looking at and, and see. So, you know, is that a result of inflation? Is it just a result of, you know, we live in extraordinary times. So we have to kind of give it a chance to see uh, how it sorts out. That's great. Did, didn't you bring those, those denim machines? Weren't they in an old mill in North Carolina somewhere? They were. Remember uh, Cone Mills? Okay. So they owned... Uh, 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 they had this great huge factory called uh, White Oak. Okay, it was named for a white oak tree. And it, uh, they had these old, old looms in it uh, from like the uh, 1940s, Draper looms. And how the story went was uh, we were contacted by, or our, our head of denim was contacted by a friend of his uh, who was... Uh, heading up the demolition of the factory. In other words, this didn't come from Cone, but the demolition company had reached out to him. How he knew him, I don't even know, but he just knew him. And they said, we were knocking the building down and all of a sudden in one corner of one of the buildings were all these machines. We had no idea what they are, you know? And so, <laughs> so he, he, he said, send me a picture. And they sent a picture and he goes, oh my gosh, because everyone thought these looms were gone. You know, they were like in a reef somewhere or you know, destroyed. And these are like the most coveted looms on the planet, you know? And so uh, he was in my office. <laughs> it was like, so I called out of the mill. I talked to Dan Fibus, the uh, CEO. And I said, we got to get him in a plane. <laughs> with a check to hold it <laughs> and he was there with him uh he flew from nashville to uh, greensboro you know uh, a few hours later he's going wild these are them these are them these are them so we bought them and uh and then we had them shipped you know trucked actually over to uh louisiana so it was just a wild thing and then we had this big reveal with all these brands that were here and it was a lot of fun so ever since then, yeah, we've been known as the salvage denim guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot to be said. If you, if you, can, if you can find history and keep it running, uh, you know, then that's, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've got one last question for you. And of course, it is the most important question. Um, I know you're a big baseball fan, particularly Yankees. Uh, are, they, oh, are, yes, we gonna, yeah, are we going to are we going to get a strike that. settled and get and get uh, get your beloved Yankees back on the on the diamond this season? 
Boy, I really hope, Jim. I really hope. Boy, you know, I mean, that, that is the key question. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll let you work on that one, too, in, in your spare time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> well, Bob, you. This, is, this has been great information. <laughs> I know it's something our growers, Jenners, and, and other segments of the industry need to, uh, need to hear and need to keep in mind. And thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Uh, I certainly look forward to catching up with you in person sometime this year. And that's with fingers crossed. Uh, it, it would be good. It'd be good to get together and, and just visit for a while. Yeah, it really would be. Thank you again, Jim. This has been a, a real pleasure and uh, really enjoyed uh, talk, talking markets. So thank you, Bob. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Jim. Well, that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. A special thanks again to Bob Antishak for joining me, and as always to you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, Subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely but chilly Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, and I'll be back with you in two weeks with the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then, let's all stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all 